consent gives birth to love and life. We foster passion to grow geniuses which lift humanity. And tailor technology to preserve liberty in balance with nature. Welcome, Welcome to Radical. Welcome to Radical, ladies and gents, boys and girls. I'm your host, Shane Hazel. Thank you guys for being here today. Um, I've been, man, so much going on here. And I've told you guys, I'm, I'm trying to get you guys at least a show a week while I'm, uh, I'm transitioning uh, with a uh, new career and new setups. And as the, you know, as I think the crash is, you know, is finally here, uh, way, way ahead of planned schedule, thanks to Bitcoin. Uh, ladies and gents, this is a show where you're welcome. I don't care if, where you come from, if you're a Democrat, Republican, Libertarian, if you're not affiliated with any of those uh, parties, wherever you're coming from. This is a, this is a show for thinkers. It is a, a show that, where we, we talk about the, the glaring truth. And some of this stuff is very hard to hear for people because it threatens uh, the entire paradigm that you were indoctrinated with by the state and by the media. And it's, it's not comfortable to talk about with friends and family and all that kind of stuff. But hey, here I am. Here, here, here I am giving you guys everything that I can that I absolutely know and understand. Because I, I think when you know and understand what's going on, you can take the right direction. At least you can choose a path of what you're going to do. And I got to tell you, you know, one of the things, I mean, you guys all know, maybe you don't, if you're new to the show, um, I try to live out to the best of my ability what I preach. Uh, and so, you know, if, if you guys are looking for a place to come and be part of a community, I am recruiting. Uh, Waleska, Georgia is a beautiful place to live. Um, it is, it's got some, some of the most amazing views in North Georgia. Uh, it's a small, small town. And it honestly, it will always be a small town because the terrain up here just can't support the the lives of many human beings it can't it's just it's it's impossible um and that's a cool thing you know this this area up here is uh it, it's it's doing well it is like i said it's small um, but i'm putting together a community of people up here and we're going to do life together through this downturn and then i think the rise of something extremely special uh when we fix the money with bitcoin so uh, if you're looking to go somewhere, great. Y- y- here's your spot, uh, Waleska, Georgia. Not not what you probably uh, dreamed uh, would be a Liberty Haven in in the South, but uh, nonetheless. Also, um, I made a, a brief mention the other day about you know where I'm going and what I'm doing and the opportunity that's out there for any of you. Um, and thank you to all of you guys that have contacted me. Um, and are taking action. I mean, the the numbers are overwhelming. Thank you guys for for doing that. Um, for if you guys are wondering what I'm talking about, um, I have an opportunity for anybody who is interested in working their ass off. If you want to work your ass off, uh, grind, get after it. If you can be confident, if you can do sales, uh, I've got something for you. Uh, and it's one of the things where you know what I've what I've learned, I've traveled to Dallas and I've traveled to uh, Orlando in the past few weeks to try to understand this organization to the best of my ability uh, without, you know, jumping in with both feet. And I got to tell you, I found a meritocracy. 
And for those of you that may not know what a meritocracy is, a meritocracy in terms of a business is where you are rewarded according to your production. And um, with this organization, which if you want to contact me, you can contact me at Shane at Shane Hazel, or you can contact me at Shane at Radical Pod, either way. Uh, but you're, you know, you're going to have to grind it first, but this is a path to, to growing and, and having your own business so that you have passive income. So you're not, you know, you're, you're not slaving for wages at some point in your life is, is this contradictory to what I talk about all the time? No, um, this is life insurance and it is, you know, one of the things is, you know, a lot of people will say, yeah, it's not sexy. Well, it can be if you work your ass off. And here's the other thing about it is it gives me an opportunity to help lift people up. So if you're tired of your corporate job, if you're tired of working a, a nine to five, like a, a, an hourly job, you can do this. This is literally something that anybody can do. And I invite you to take the opportunity to at least learn. You know, if you could change your life, if you could earn well above six figures, would you do it? Would you take the opportunity to help other people? And this is the thing that I get to is like, I've got life insurance, ladies and gents. And it's one of the things that for me, if I pass away, uh, for some, you know, reason, my family's going to be taken care of and they're going to be taken care of very well. Most of you out there, I know the demographics of this audience. I know you're young. You guys are 20, 30, 40. You got some 50 year olds, some 60 year olds, but the, the vast majority of you guys are young. You know, what are you doing these days for money? What are you doing to turn dirty ass fiat into Bitcoin? I mean, if you're like me and corporate America has, has absolutely uh, turned its back on the people that made it, uh, you know, and this is, this is just typical. If you're the people that were told you have to get vaccinated, if you're the people that work for people who are incompetent, and you know how hard you grind day in and day out. You know what you can do. What is your what is your path to something better? I, I got to tell you, for me, it's it's looking at opportunity to lift other people up, to not only you know obviously create income, but to also create passive income, so that someday I've got more time to go out and do all the things I want to do, and I don't have to ask permission. You can do this. From anywhere in the world, yeah, I should say anywhere in America, um, anywhere in America, and that means if you live in a remote location, you can use technology to reach clients. You can reach tech. You can use technology to do all of these things these days. Um, and like I said, it's up to you. You want to grind. You want to work. You want to grow a business. Those are the people I'm looking for. If not, then you know that's fine. I, I totally understand. If you're comfortable. Uh, and, and that's not your thing. I got it. But if you are, and you're looking for an opportunity, this opportunity is laid out for you. It is a meritocracy and it is literally on paper. It, you're going to see where you're going to be when, when you look at it, wherever you want, whatever you want to be comfortable with, that's, that's what you can achieve. And I know this audience, this is the audience that takes action. So, um, it comes by no surprise to me that with the, the, just the brief first mention of uh, 
of this opportunity, the overwhelming response. So I wanted to take this time again and let you guys know the opportunity is here for you. Shane at shanehazel.com or shane at radicalpod.com. You can email me there and I will follow up with you and get you started down this path to see if you're interested. So uh, without further ado, today's show, a lot's going on in the world. People are arguing about anything and everything they can. You've got you know Pete Buttigieg who is visiting uh, Palestine for Palestine, Ohio for the first time since the train derailment three weeks ago, who is absolutely getting eviscerated uh, by by independent journalists, by, by the people who are asking very tough questions. And why did Pete Buttigieg finally go there? Because Donald Trump apparently showed up before him. You know, you say like I'm not a like yeah, I'm not a Trumper, ladies and gents. Um, and you know, for a lot of people, a lot of people love the guy. Uh, the guy, I do think he honestly cares about people in America. I really do. I think if there's anything, you know, Don is American. I think he's like a New York Democrat American, uh, but I think he's more of the old school New York Democrat. Uh, that's got I don't know at least some understanding, at least some connection with some of the people. I'm not saying he's for the people. Like billionaires um, are extremely disconnected. But for a literal billionaire to know that he needs to be there and show up and seize, you know, what I understand as a political opportunity to score some points here, like, you know, he did it. Um, and then it forced the hand of the Biden administration to finally send Pete out there after three weeks, which... This is just government, you know. Th- this is this is what we see out of government time and time and time again. You know, it's the problems that there are were created by the government, and so what happens? They they turn around and they want to fix it with what? More government? Government was the problem in the first place. You got guys like Gavin Newsom out in Twitter right now, uh, trying to eviscerate any of his competition or and slaying uh, the imaginary dragons of you know, mass murder, uh, by what they'll call assault rifles, which for, for everybody, even in the Marine Corps, we just call them rifles. They're just rifles. Are some automatic? Yes. Are some select fire? Yeah. Which means like a three round burst. You, yes. But here's the, the issue is, is the, the overwhelming picture of what is really, really wrong, right? What is the root cause Well, the root cause isn't even government. The root cause of government being such a poor arbiter of responsibility and and economics is the dollar. The dollar is the cancer. The dollar is the poison. It is what has crept in and infected every bit of all of our lives as a society and as a world reserve currency. It has affected most of the world. I mean, other central banks have their, you know, infections as well, which are, you know, less systemic than the U.S. dollar. But the U.S. dollar is the systemic problem. You know, if you look at what government has done versus the average private citizen in terms of mass murder over the last century alone, and you're talking about over 200 million people destroyed. There's a term for it. It's called democide. And here's the thing is, a lot of spell check organizations won't even recognize it because they don't want you looking it up. Democide, D-E-M-O-C-I-D-E, democide. Democide is the killing 
of its own, a, a, a government's own people. So when we look at, I don't know, communist China, we look at Russia, we look at Germany, um, we look at the drug war here in the United States, we look around the world, government killing its own people is far, far worse in terms of the numbers of people that it actually kills than any anybody with a rifle. Not it's not even comparable. It's not even close. If they were if these if these people that were, you know, really, really worried about human beings and death, you know, being tragically lost, what they would be pushing for in an instant would be the the absolute abolition of government, of centralized government, of the ability of these people to print money out of thin air, to extract money from other people so that they can carry out not only democide, but war. I mean, look at World War II. World War II, I don't know if you know a lot of people understand, but World War II was extremely costly. The Soviet Union, um, the Soviet Union lost almost, I think it was 24, Four million people. Twenty-four million people. I think over half of those were civilians. In terms of like total death as a percent of the nineteen thirty-nine population, Russia lost over thirteen percent of its total population. That is incredible. That is, I mean, that that's just China. Or that's just Russia. China, almost twenty million. Most of that, you know, most of that twenty million, sixteen million of those people, those were civilians. Not, we're not even talking about combatants. Almost four million combatants lost during that time. It was almost four percent of their population. Um. Or I should say, of the the, the de- total deaths as a percent of the 1939 population, Poland, Poland almost lost nothing but civilians during the the during World War II. About five million Poles were slaughtered. Indonesia, four million, all civilians. India, almost I don't know. 1.75 million, almost all civilians. Yugoslavia, probably about a million, half of those civilian. French Indonesia, all over 500,000 people, all civilians. The United Kingdom and France. Now, United Kingdom was mostly combatants that they lost, but they probably lost a little over, I don't know, somewhere around 300,000. But the population, their population, their total deaths as a percent of the 1939 population for the United Kingdom was staggering. It was up, oh gosh, let's see, over, over, I guess, 2%. Crazy. And then you look at, you know, places like, you know, the United States. Like the United States was mostly combatants that we lost during World War II. Too many, right? Looking at, you know, close to 600, 700,000. That's a lot of people. Germany, Germany, we haven't even talked about Germany yet. A lot of combatants that were lost, uh, close to 6 million. Uh, and then you look at 
the people that were lost, almost 8 million people from Germany, Japan, another 5 million. This is, this is the cost of, of government, but it's not the root cause. Why does all this happen? Why does democide and why do wars happen? Well, in the 1900s, they happened because the Federal Reserve came along, the Federal Reserve Act of uh, 1913, and this is why people will call Woodrow Wilson the worst, most evil man that ever lived. And he was the, he was the president that signed the bill of the 1913 Federal Reserve Act. That's crazy. And when you start to understand how money works and how fiat and how centralized planning works, what does it do? It gets into a Keynesian cycle. And now what do you have to do? You have to spend money and you have to spend more money faster. War is a, is, is, it's kind of like a twofer. You know, when I say a twofer, I mean like war is a twofer in the fact that not only does it destroy what was already built but it gives them an excuse to come back and spend more money on building back what they destroyed it's 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 insanity um there there's a ton of you know great books out there uh, economics in one lesson is a great place to start for understanding destruction and military and war and democide is not great for your economy it also talks about the the unfathomable costs that are, are never thought of before implementing such things. So if you, for example, so if you had like your scientists, if you had your engineers, if you had your productive class of thinkers, of producers, of people that take action, if you actually had them in the private sector versus the military industrial complex, what they would be doing what they would be coming up with, the problems that they would be solving, the lifting of humanity that they would be doing. Juxtapose that with putting so many amazing, great minds in the military industrial complex. I mean, take it from a guy that used to work there, guys. Like some amazing people with amazing minds that absolutely were pushing, you know, Technology that was for the, the military industrial complex this is damn near. It's a death machine. So when we when we really if, if they were truthful and they wanted to destroy mass casualties. These politicians would be talking about decentralizing government. They would be talking about mechanisms to do that. That's why I talk about Bitcoin on the show so much. And, you know. I, I love the libertarians. I love their principles. I, but I will tell you that in a incentive program that's set up by the Federal Reserve that is based on the dollar, every transaction that you do, you're never ever going to really push the needle with a party. The only, the only way you change is you build something new from the ground up. A party isn't new. Unfortunately, it's, it's not. If it was just principle-based and everybody was like, yeah, you know what, that is a great idea, then yeah. But your incentive is fiat money. And without, with, with a bank, 
that has every intention on enslaving and centrally controlling. We know that's what they do. They are central control. We know that they want control through CBDCs. A party is just going to be a party. You have to ignore everything that they've ever done, and you have to build something completely new that they can't touch, that they can't control, that they can't manipulate, that they can't even afford to fight. That's Bitcoin. You know, Elon Musk came out uh, the other day, I guess it was on Wednesday, and he suggested that he had information that was going to prove that COVID, uh, the entire COVID pandemic was a scam. The, the response was a, con- a total scam, which what have we said on this show for, I don't know, for a long damn time, since 2019. 2019 is when I started saying, listen, this whole thing is about to die. This whole thing is about to crash. Brexit was the first economic marker saying that we don't trust these centralized bankers in the European Union with you know, the finances of Great Britain. No, they didn't want to do that. So Musk is just apparently saying that he, he's got a bombshell and that, uh, quote, when will everybody admit the whole COVID pandemic response was a scam? This is, I mean, this was a question to him asked by uh, Zuby, uh, good buddy Zuby over there. Um, if you guys don't know Zuby, man, Zuby's one of the most positive forces there ever was. Um, at any rate, Musk replied to Zuby and he said, It's coming. And that was it. It's coming. That was February 23rd. We all know that the, that COVID, and its response was absolutely a scam because of economic meltdown. 100%. To, to back that up, I want you guys to hear what the FDIC Systematic Resolution Advisory Committee, called SARC, said back in November of 22. And I'll, I'll stop this. Um, this is Donald Kahn. And when you hear what these guys are saying you are going to want to leave the dollar and leave it get out of the banks as fast as possible remember these are this is the insurance commission for the banks listen to donald Kahn. that's and and it could be an early warning signal to the fdic and the primary regulators when these things happen and there may be some other Prices. This is uh, similar to what Jay was saying in the market that you can tell whether people understand how the who's going to be protected, who isn't going to be protected. It would be, I think, an interesting study to look at the. All right. So Donald Kahn is already talking about people who are going to be protected and who are not going to be protected, and how the people, the market, how the people perceive what is happening. Uh, evolution of market prices in a situation like March of 2020, for example, and see. All right, so he's referring to the month, almost, you know, <laughs> I'd say to the exact month when everything was melting down. Does Elon know this? Of course he does. Does he have proof of it on Twitter? I imagine he he might. 
But this is the FDIC literally citing March of 2020 as the beginning of something huge in terms of fiat collapse. Whether people understood what might happen. I, I might go further than that, Don, because I think that you look at the evolution. I think we have to sit down and talk to long-term debt investors and make sure that they, as a stakeholder group, fully understand bank debt today is not what it was before. It is not principle protected by design. And I think that that, is, that expectation, I like how you started off, Betsy, like it's all about expectation setting. And I think that is, that is absolutely critical. If that doesn't hold, this whole thing doesn't hold. We're dealing with it. All right. So setting expectations. He's talking about the people who are going to finance the debt of the United States. If they're, if they're not able to convince the people you know, that hold treasury bonds, which let's face it, bonds are in the toilet right now. I mean, they're, they're, <laughs> they're, 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 they're so far down the pipe. They're not coming back. Like this is, it's the bonds are over. We are in a debt spiral and bond yields when they're not performing and they're performing well below what it real inflation is. And let's face it, we all know that real inflation is double digit. It's, it's not, you know, seven or eight or 9%. You know, it's, it's none of those things. It never was. We're talking about nominal inflation, probably being somewhere closer to 20 to 30%. When you look at what it costs the American people right now to just live, the fact that you've got debt that's absolutely through the roof right now. We, do you guys know the American public is $16 trillion in debt? That's credit card debt. $16 trillion in credit card debt. That is not recoverable. Do you know how many people are going to default on that because... Th- the the dollar just isn't going as far as it used to that they you know you you've got people who are upside down in mortgages you've got banks that you know can't give away mortgages now because the interest rates way too high like this is this is all coming and it's right here and it's right now and these guys are talking about the people who own you know or who who fund the debt of America through buying bonds. Nobody's going to buy. Who's buying bonds? Nobody. If nobody is buying bonds, then the entire system collapses. All right, back to it. The society where people are getting their information in tweets. There's- All right. This is Richard Hearing, and I, I will let him play. But this, he's the co-director of the Wharton Financial Institution Center. Um, this guy is saying that people are getting their information in tweets almost as a jab, right? No, the, the, the only reason why we're getting our, our, a lot of our information and leads in tweets is because first and foremost, Twitter is a crime scene. And secondly, because the journalists who will actually talk about this kind of stuff can only exist on platforms like this, or hopefully in the future, Oster or, uh, Keat or the, a lot of the other places that are going to be decentralized and they're going to be bla- based on blockchain anyway. Like this guy hates the fact that the financial institutions, the FDIC, is being outmaneuvered by the public who is 
being mass informed through tweets. All right, let's keep going. Just no patience, I think, for going through the elaborate and careful planning that has gone on. It should be there. It should be accessible when people need to know. But I don't think you have much hope of, of reaching a public that doesn't have a professional need to know. All right. So he, he's basically saying you're, you're never going to reach these people because they're impatient. Well, no kidding. Right. Like it's their money. You guys have been debasing their money forever. You know, if anybody's still alive from 1913, like those people ask somebody that was alive then. I don't know exactly uh, what it is. 110 years old. They'd have nothing left. They'd have, they, I mean, literally, let's just say that they, they had money in 1913. That 1913 money would be absolutely eviscerated. We're down to the last three cents of the dollar, ladies and gents. The last three cents. It's, I don't even think it's that much. If 99% of the buying power has evaporated from the dollar, you don't have three cents left. You got maybe a cent. And I think that is where I think we're probably actually below that. But yeah, no, nobody has the patience to sit here and listen to the FDIC talk about how they're going to financially guide us into anything but more debt, right? Like nobody wants to hear that. I, I completely agree with that. I almost think you'd scare the public if you put this out. Like, why are they telling me this? Should I be concerned about my bank? Like my insurance company doesn't tell me what they're doing with my assets. They just assume they're going to pay my claim. All right. This is Gary Kahn, former assistant to the president of the economic policy director. Um, and the director, let's see, uh, for the, uh, let's see, the International Economic Council. So Gary Kahn is saying, dude, if you tell people this, you're going to scare the hell out of people. Basically, you're going to cause bank runs. If you tell the public like what's going on, you're going to cause bank runs. They can't handle this kind of stuff. This is the FDIC. They are worried about letting this knowledge out because they don't want people to run on the banks, which means pulling all of your money out of the banks, pulling all of your money out of the dollar. They're worried about this, and they are saying it out loud now. The FDIC, the people who insure the banks, are saying, if this knowledge gets out, I am I'm absolutely positive there, there will be bank runs. Because people are going to do what? They're going to take whatever liquidity, liquidity they can get, and they are going to throw it into areas that are more stable. I'm going to let it keep going. Right. It's, it's, I, I think you've got to think of the unintended consequences of taking a public that has more full faith and confidence in the banking system than maybe people in this room do. <laughs> they laugh. The FDIC is laughing when they say the public has more full faith and credit in the banking system than the FDIC does. And then they snicker. They laugh like, oh, it's such a it's such a fucking joke. It's such a goddamn joke that the the, the mass the masses of people who don't understand money, that don't understand economics, 
that had never really studied any of this kind of stuff, like they don't understand or they wouldn't even be here now. This is this is the full admission. If, if you think anybody's crazy for talking about a sound currency that has a cap of 21 million coins that can't be touched by bankers, by speculators, by debtors, that is decentralized. These people that are literally sitting here in this room laughing at the public about their naivete and trusting and the full faith and credit of the banks who are the insurers, the creditors of the banks just in case they get in a bad situation. These are the people that are laughing at you for having your money in the bank. Holy shit, what else do you need to hear? That we want them to have full faith and confidence in the banking system. They know the FDIC insurance is there. They know it works. They put their money in. They're going to get their money out. So there, there's a select crowd of people that are in the institutional side. And if they want to understand this, they're going to find a way to understand this. There's a bunch of law firms represented in this room. There's a bunch of people that will charge them by the hour a lot of money to explain this all to them. And, and, and it's fine. I don't have a I don't have a problem with that. And they all have huge staffs. But I would be careful about the unintended consequences of starting to blast too much of this out in the general public. All right. Yeah, they don't need this information being blasted out. They don't they don't want that. So what should you do? If you're out there and you can snip this part of the episode, snip it. Put it out everywhere this little gold nugget man uh thanks to uh lynette zhang and um the uh gosh I'm, I'm trying to remember uh what her other name was but uh yeah like this is incredible absolutely amazing uh michelle mccory uh and, and i don't think michelle really gets it but lynette zhang she definitely gets it she's a gold bug she's not a bitcoiner but I, I will tell you right now, like these people, they understand exactly what this is. And I've got to tell you right now, the fact that it's the FDIC that that knows that if people knew actually what was going on, they would pull their money out of the bank yesterday. And they're laughing at you for having it in there. So with that being said, what do we do? We know it's a Ponzi scheme. Uh, my buddy, who actually just did a show with earlier this week, uh, found another one of his wonderful articles. Uh, his name is Connor Chepnick, uh, and I've got the reading for you today. It is the U.S. dollar is a Ponzi you shouldn't invest in, and he makes a great case. I hope you guys enjoy the read. I'll be back afterwards. The U.S. dollar is a Ponzi you shouldn't invest in. Written by Connor Chepanick, February 11th, 2023. Most people don't spend a lot of time thinking about what makes a good money. Why? Well, I think a Thomas Paine quote from his famous pamphlet, Common Sense, can provide some insight. Quote, a long habit of not thinking a thing wrong gives it a superficial appearance of being right. Bitcoiners know that this fiat currency experiment we have been on since 1971 is not going great. The majority of the world has only recently started questioning what's wrong with our money. 
as Congress debates whether or not it should raise the debt ceiling for the 23rd time since 1997, it's important to hear what the United States Treasury Secretary has to say. Quote, Since 1789, the U.S. has always paid all of its bills. The knowledge that we can be trusted and counted on to do that underlines the foundations of the entire global financial system. Default would cause widespread damage to the U.S. economy, end quote. Janet Yellen on Twitter. I'm not surprised that Janet Yellen wants to ignore the fact the U.S. has actually defaulted on its debt five times. To declare otherwise would undermine her claim that U.S. Treasury securities are the safest investment on the planet. If the U.S. Treasury was truly the safest investment on the planet, we would not need to raise the debt ceiling. Depending on your definition of default, maybe these five instances don't qualify as a true debt default. I will quickly articulate what happened in 1792, 1834, 1862, 1933, and 1971, so the reader can decide for themselves. The Panic of 1792 was the first financial crisis in the United States, which occurred in Philadelphia caused by a speculative bubble in the bank script of the Bank of the United States, which was chartered by Alexander Hamilton as the first Secretary of the Treasury. The government intervened to save the markets. Instead, the panic led to a decline in the value of the debt, hurting the country's credit rating, and caused widespread financial instability, with many banks and businesses failing. The Coinage Act of 1834, signed by Andrew Jackson, defined the weight of coins and allowed the Treasury Department to pay the full amount of gold deposited at the mint within five days. This led to the undervaluation of silver and its near disappearance from circulation. Jackson, along with members of Congress, attempted to replace paper currency with hard money, gold, and silver, despite the existence of over a thousand banks issuing their own notes. The act was part of the continuous political battle over the fate of the United States Bank. Jackson believed the bank would be manipulated by powerful financiers to exploit the nation's financial system. Jackson also argued that the Constitution did not give Congress the power to charter a corporation that could operate outside the District of Columbia. The United States defaulted on its debt in 1862 by passing the Legal Tender Act of 1862. This is also known as the Greenback Law. It was passed by Congress during the Civil War in order to finance the war effort. The act authorized the issuance of paper money called greenbacks. These greenbacks were not backed by gold or silver, but were considered legal tender for all debts, public and private. This meant that the government could pay its debts, including bonds and interest with them. Naturally, this caused inflation, and the value of greenbacks fell in relation to gold and silver. The Legal Tender Act of 1862 effectively defaulted on the government's promise to pay its debt in gold and silver, as the greenbacks were not worth the same value as the gold and silver that the government had originally promised to pay. This default led to a significant loss of value for the bondholders and other creditors who had lent money to the government. As one can imagine, the act was met with strong opposition from bondholders and other creditors. 
The same playbook was applied in 1933 and 1971. In 1933, the United States government defaulted on its debt by devaluing the dollar and outlawing the ownership of gold for its citizens. Done as part of Franklin D. Roosevelt's New Deal policies to combat the Great Depression and stabilize the economy. Again, the default was met with opposition from bondholders and other creditors who felt that the government had reneged on its promise to pay its debt in a stable currency, but it was considered necessary to address the economic crisis according to those in power. It doesn't take a Nobel Prize-winning economist to see that the default again led to a loss of value for bondholders and other creditors who had lent money to the government. They were paid with currency that was worth less than what they had originally lent. Finally, in 1971, the United States defaulted on its debt when President Nixon suspended the convertibility of the U.S. dollar into gold, effectively defaulting on the promise of the United States made to all other nations at Bretton Woods to redeem dollars for gold at a fixed rate. All done in the name of combating inflation and stabilizing the economy from the greedy foreign forex speculators. 52 years later, and the U.S. is staring down the barrel of another major financial problem. Governments and businesses are clearly different types of organizations being run by individuals. If you saw a CEO claiming the solution to his insolvent business was to raise more debt, would you invest? Especially if the CEO was claiming he had to raise money in order to ensure they can pay the original debts. Sounds a bit like a Ponzi scheme to me. Twitter post by Guinevere Roach-Dector, CFA. Would you invest in this business? Total debt, $31 trillion. Assets, $4.8 trillion. Annual revenue, $4.9 trillion. Annual income, $1.4 trillion loss. This is the U.S. government. If the United States just outright defaults, it would likely get very ugly in the short term. The Fed is already broke. Fiat currency has led us to the point where all the financial reporting seems to be a complete fugazi. The people in charge will manipulate the truth to fit whatever agenda is beneficial to them. The only reason the United States is not considered insolvent is the fact that the Treasury and the Federal Reserve can create money out of thin air. With a situation so dire, you would think there would be more political will to either limit spending or increase the amount of revenue. Unfortunately, campaigns on spending cuts or raising taxes do not win elections. Many think if their side wins, they can fix these problems. The reality is neither side, Democrat or Republican, will fix the problem. The Union Party wants the citizens of the United States to fight with the opposing side while they enjoy the Cantillian effect. If history is any indicator, there will be a sixth soft default. I predict there will be a financial battle between Bitcoin and CBDCs. Currently, the dystopian digital currencies offered by central banks are still being hashed out by the kleptocrats of the world. The war for top-down control of money versus bottom-up adoption is just getting started. A tweet from Nick Carter. I don't want to alarm, but since the turn of the year, a new Operation Choke Point type operation began targeting the crypto space in the U.S. 
in his well-coordinated effort to marginalize the industry and cut off its connectivity to the banking system and its working. A quote retweet by Jake Cherevinsky. This is accurate. Without new legislation from Congress, federal agencies lack the authority to comprehensively regulate crypto markets, so their fallback position is to weaponize control over the banking system to mandate discrimination against crypto companies. This must stop. Operation Chokepoint reminds me of when FDR outlawed gold. If you can't beat hard money, ban it. While elected officials struggle to eliminate their citizens' ability to save money that can't be debased, the current solutions floated to fix the fiat currency aren't looking ideal. The big brains in Washington, D.C. want to either raise the debt ceiling or print a trillion-dollar coin. On the bright side, the trillion-dollar coin would be platinum. At least, in a way, it's a return to hard money. Tweet by John Hendrickson. Just to recap here. The trillion-dollar coin is a simple idea that only requires ignoring one of the three branches of government and sending the military to the Fed to force them to buy a worthless platinum coin at an arbitrary value. Arbitrary metrics. All jokes aside, if we are at the point where the United States is considering using a trillion-dollar platinum coin to pay their bills, it makes one wonder how arbitrary are the rules and metrics being used for measurement. Pensions. For example, a retirement savings plan that provides regular income to an individual during their retirement years, usually provided by an employer or government. What initially seemed like a sound idea to reward savers is now a tool of leverage for governments. In 2023, there are protests in France because central planners are raising the retirement age by two years. According to this article from the AP, Macron acknowledged the public discontent, but also said that we must do that reform to save French pensions. We will do it with respect, in a spirit of dialogue, but also determination and responsibility, he added. It doesn't seem very respectful to force people to work longer if the initial agreement said otherwise. To be fair, everyone receives a state pension in France according to the article. That doesn't fix the reality that people are saving their own money and a pension that has become insolvent due to poor choices made by central planners, whereby the solution to fix this insolvency is to make people work an extra two years. That money should not be a tool for the state to leverage their power over the individual, especially if the individual has paid into it. Quote, A man's natural rights are his own, against the whole world and any infringement of them is equally a crime, whether committed by one man or by millions, whether committed by one man calling himself a robber or by millions calling themselves government. Lysander Spooner, No Treason, The Constitution of No Authority. Another arbitrary metric, in my opinion, is the gross domestic product, Economists use GDP to measure total economic output of a country and assesses the overall health and growth of an economy. GDP does not measure the quality of life, such as happiness, health, or social connections, which are nearly impossible to accurately measure. There are central planners who think if they could install a central bank digital currency, CBDC, the government 
could be at the center of every transaction and would fix many of these issues. However, the informal economy of goods and services that are not reported and taxed as well as the black market will not be stopped by a CBDC. People will find ways to either barter or trade with a different medium of exchange. There's a reason for the use of cigarettes as money in jail. Another thing GDP cannot measure is human capital or the knowledge, skills, and abilities of the population. In Western countries, we love to talk about democracy, yet we have no tools to measure the social capital, the trust, cooperation, or civic engagement of society. GDP is surely not factoring in any of these things, nor does GDP measure the natural capital, the natural resources, and the ecosystem services of a country. I imagine this last part is very important. If they were included, it would be more difficult for the IMF and World Bank to continue their grift of extracting resources from less developed countries via debt slavery. There are other metrics such as the Human Development Index, HDI, and the Genuine Progress Indicator, GPI, which aim to provide a more comprehensive measure of a society's well-being by taking into account factors such as education, health, and environmental sustainability. However, these metrics have their limitations. Once again, they are not included, like GDP, to determine if we are in the boom or bust part of the Keynesian economic cycle. The use of GDP as a sole indicator of a country's economic and societal well-being is inadequate and fails to capture the complexity and diversity of a society or economy. It is important for the decision makers to consider a variety of indicators when assessing the overall health and growth of a country and to recognize the limitations of each metric. With the advancement of artificial intelligence, it may become possible to use multiple indicators in conjunction with one another to gain a more comprehensive understanding of a society or economy. However, it is also important to be aware that this increased sophistication in data analysis may also lead to manipulation of the data to present a falsely positive image. Therefore, it is important to approach these metrics with caution and to consider their potential biases and limitations. The tweet below articulates why more sophisticated modeling doesn't necessarily mean better outcomes for everyone. A tweet from Jens. Complexity hides the truth. Simpleness states it clearly. There's a reason Keynesian economics taught at uni is so complex, full of calculus, equations, and fancy graphs. It's there to distract from the simple reality of inflationary theft. Inflation is theft, defaulting on promises to pay someone back the initially agreed upon medium of exchange is theft. Quantitative easing is theft. The proof of work required to fully understand use and save in Bitcoin is not easy. However, the idea is simple. There are 21 million coins. No one can create more. The money society uses today for the global reserve currency is a Ponzi scheme. The only way it works is if the treasury can borrow more to make sure it doesn't default on the initial obligations. 
there is an argument to be made that Bitcoin is also a Ponzi scheme because more people need to use it in order for Bitcoin to become the next global reserve currency. My question is, do you want to save your life's energy in the Ponzi scheme that is infinite like fiat currency or the one that is capped at 21 million like Bitcoin? The choice is yours. Debt slavery or self-sovereignty. Ignorance or truth. Green pill or orange pill. What's it going to be, Anon? So Connor makes the exact point that I was making earlier. Is like, who is going to fund the government at this point? Who is going to fund a government through bonds that have a, a, a drastically, uh, I don't know, less less in return I, that's not the right word they the, the the return on bonds right now compared to inflation isn't worth the investment why would you do it why would you invest in a in an organization that is 31 trillion in debt why would you invest in an organization that has over 200 trillion in unfunded liability how like Nobody's doing this. Nobody who's sane gives money to an organization that has promised $200 trillion worth of benefits to people in health, in social security, in old age. Man, I mean, the, the, the whole thing to tie it back around, you know, why would you, why would you respond to COVID the way they did in 2020? So you set up a banking you, you set up, you know, obviously you've got a, you, you've got an economic crash coming because the dollar is, is absolute shit. And what do they do? They set up a scenario where they have scientists per Paul Krugman and, and you know, the, all the people that they can fund in terms of scientists set up this COVID regime. And it says fear, 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 porn all day, every day for years get the vaccine and your job's going to be tied to getting the vaccine based on what? Based on the word of some senile old man that was in office that later got overturned by the Supreme court. Like, are you kidding me? Yeah. So what happens with the vaccine? Now we're seeing obviously the rise of heart disease in younger people, 30% greater than any other year in history. And the precipice, the fact that you like guys that, you know, collapse on the field in the NFL won't talk about it, can't talk about it when interviewed on national TV because the NFL is funded by Pfizer, who was given money by the federal government that stole it from you and generations to come. They're white. They literally two hundred trillion dollars. They're wiping out a generation of people who are older. They're wiping out a generation of people that paid into this thing that they don't have the money to give them. It all makes perfect freaking sense when you understand that this whole thing was driven by the, the by the decay of the US dollar. This is the debt bubble. Absolutely, this is the debt bubble. Everybody was talking about the housing bubble, the dot-com bubble, and, and the only people that were talking about the debt bubble 
were the Austrians, most of which were libertarians. The debt bubble is popping. It was popping in 2019. They, they COVID the whole thing. They put us all into lockdowns. They locked us down. They injected us. They threatened you over and over and over again. And then when people trusted because they propagandized them, they got the shot. And now a lot of them are going to fall dead. And I hate it. I hate it for all of them. But it makes perfect sense when you understand what the dollar is. It is a cancer. It is an absolute plague on the human species. And that is why Bitcoin is so important. It is either going to be Bitcoin or CBDCs. Some people will say gold and silver. Yeah, you, you know what? You might be able to trade some of that locally. And I definitely, hey, listen, I have some. I get it. But in the future, as we're going forward, the only thing that's going to restore global trade, a global economy that all of us have gotten so used to the perks of, is Bitcoin. Learn it. Study it. Understand it. If you've got questions, ask. If I need to do shows with experts on some of the basics, I'm happy to do that for you guys. I will tell you right now, shut off mainstream. Go do what you have to do. I will tell you that I have been doing exactly that. A lot of what I've been doing is just preparing. I think 2023 is the year. It may go on further, and you got to plan for that as well. But I'm going to tell you, if this doesn't drive you to understand right from the FDIC's mouth what is happening what the real situation of the U.S. dollar is, the fact that we are at the end of the dollar's life cycle. Ahead of schedule. 2030 was the schedule. 2030 was the push for CBDCs. Thank God Bitcoin is growing faster than the internet did. Leaps and bounds faster, ladies and gents. Leaps and, and then I honestly think this is what is causing them to panic. I think this is what is causing them to make mistake after mistake after mistake. They don't have an answer for it, and they are trying to throw anything and everything they can at it. They're threatening more war. They're threatening all sorts of you know possible new pandemics. Anything and everything that they can to get you ginned up. To get you fearful. You know, I, I'm not I'm not a religious person. I am one of deep faith and conviction. But I will say, you know, there's a, there's a lot of good teachings that come from the Bible. And there's one in particular um, piece of the Bible, and it's in multiple pieces. But it's it's what's said the most in the Bible. And it is, do not fear. Do not fear. Fear is exactly what they want you to do. Fear is the work of evil. People who want you to fear, instead of inspiring change, inspiring hope, 
instead of presenting solutions. Those are the people you need to look out for. Those are the people that you need to spotlight, ridicule them as much as possible. That is one of our best tools in a peaceful, decentralized society is ridicule. Make memes, make jokes. I mean, put it in your routine. I don't know. But stay away from those type of people and definitely stay away from what they're saying. I am honored that you've been here. I am honored that you are still here. I am honored that you guys are enjoying these shows more and more and more as we are getting down into the nitty gritty and the details of a lot of what is actually happening and a lot of what has transpired over the past few years that we said, hey, this is happening. And now you're seeing proof that we were right. The fact that you've been here, the the fact that you've stayed here, the fact that we are building something bigger, the fact that we have opportunity together. I can't wait, man. I'll tell you, some the, the guys that are coming forward, the guys that are taking action, the guys that are exploring something new for themselves and their families through this new opportunity, thank you. Thank you for reaching out and thank you for trusting me. I, I guarantee you, you will get out what you put in and then some. I look forward to hearing from a lot of you guys. Shane at ShaneHazel.com or Shane at RadicalPod. If you love the show, you can support it through Cash App, dollar sign, Shane Hazel. No Patreon, none of that crap anymore. I'm not dealing with those people. Obviously, I can't deal with YouTube either. Uh, you, you talk about things like this and you tend to get wiped off real quick. So I appreciate everybody who's out there. Spread the message, share this, snip it up. And uh, I got to tell you, I think we're about to see a lot of real positive change for the average man and woman. And it's because of people like you. So until next time, ladies and gents, I love you. I need you. Peace. Um, don't hurt people and don't take this back.